Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. We have set our anniversary date as to be what? Oh, the uh, first opening day of archery season every year. <laughs> Just like you're not supposed to text and drive, you shouldn't use your phone and ride a horse either. My eyes open, my awareness changes, because my environment around me has changed, so I adapt. And so adapting to me is really important. So we wind up actually being there for a total of 63 straight days. If you're not used to being in a wall tent and being isolated like that in the quietness and nobody really around, it can be a little unnerve-wracking. As I try and tell people, embrace the suck because big game hunting, especially elk, is going to suck at some point. To watch a guy that has served in the Middle East, like almost like a child on Christmas morning, if you put that in a visual context, that's what it was like. And that's what we do, that's, that's what we are about. James Hardesty and your living country in the city. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle, we'll put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey yo, welcome to episode 114 of Living Country in the City. Before we get started, want to say a big thank you to Sawyer Products for their continual support of the podcast. Y'all, many of you are well into the season, and I have been seeing a lot of people actually posting and reaching out about solutions to deal with ticks while you're out in the field. Well, y'all, if you have not figured it out by now, I have the answer for you, and that answer is Sawyer Products. If you head on over to Sawyer.com slash Lyme-Disease, you can find some incredible information there, videos, information, and infographics, as well as all the awesome products Sawyer offers to protect against ticks and Lyme disease while you are out in the outdoors this hunting season. Also, y'all, it is in progress right now. Living Country in the City is rebranding to the Wild Initiative, as I've been announcing over the past several months. 
I currently have the website down. I am rebuilding it right now. I'm working on all the new assets that are required to launch this rebrand. So it is in progress. It is happening soon. And I am going to be very excited to release it coming up very quickly. So keep y'all's eyes out because soon you will be subscribed to The Wild Initiative. Also, y'all, if you have a brand, a podcast, or you're just looking to start one and you need to upgrade that web presence, make sure y'all hit me up and shoot me an email. I would love to sit down and get you a quote to put together a brand new website. Y'all, my prices are super reasonable, and if you talk to anyone I've worked with before, they will tell you that I provide top-notch service for all my web clients. So y'all hit me up if you are looking to upgrade that website. All right, y'all, on to today's episode. Again at Hunt Expo, I got to sit down with Mr. James Hardesty and Dana Davison. Y'all, these two are great because they really have a passion for bringing new folks into the outdoors and really putting them on their first animal, being part of their first harvest. Y'all, we have a great time chatting, so I hope y'all enjoy episode 114 with... James Hardesty and Dana Davison. So we are here at the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. Once again, if you guys can't tell by all the background noise, um, it is a very busy Saturday. There are a lot of bodies in this building, and it is giving me heinous crowd anxiety. <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to make it from always running from one side of the building to the other, but... So, I am here with Mr. James Hardesty and Dana Davidson, and uh, we, I've been following you for a little bit on, uh, on Instagram and, and Facebook, and we finally got a chance to meet, uh, I think it was at the, the introduction dinner, the, Correct. Uh, the Wednesday yeah. night mule deer uh, dinner. Yeah, uh, Wednesday night at the, uh, the kickoff party for the Full Draw Film Tour uh, awards banquet, and, and um, hosted... Uh, in partners with the Mule Deer Foundation, that's correct. Yeah, so we finally got a chance to meet. We talked a little bit and thought, you know what, I need to sit down with this guy and uh, and uh, learn a little bit more about him, hear, hear his story. And So uh, why don't you start out, maybe just a little introduction about yourself. How did how did you get your start in the outdoors? Well, uh, born and raised in Colorado. Uh, I got my start in the outdoor industry uh, by my uncle uh, my grand- and my father. We uh, go out elk hunting, so I've been elk hunting since pretty much I feel like I can crawl, so <laughs> elk is my species. I, um, I I also mule deer hunt, I also antelope and bear hunt, but elk is is my thing. Uh, Dana, my girlfriend here, uh, was uh, brought into it uh, with uh, about five years ago. She was anti-hunting, anti-guns, uh, so... I just said that wasn't going to work for me, and, you know, and <laughs> if you want to date, you know, you have to, you have to go hunting. She was open to it, and so um, I, I think really more about her story is, is kind of interesting than it would be about mine. I mean, you know, we all know hunters. We all know guys that can talk about big bulls and talk about, uh, you know, big, big hunts they've gone on or big animals they killed and stuff like that. Uh, what's unique about us is we live in Denver, Colorado. We live in the city, right? And she grew up uh, in the con- in the country, in the redwoods of, of California. I grew up... Uh, really? Yeah. Wow, fellow Californian. I did not know that. Yeah. Yep. So, so we met uh, about five years ago uh, in Denver, and we live together now. But uh, uh, I took her out and got her hunter safety ed and... Uh, 
took her on her first uh, big game hunt, and uh, she loves the meat and stuff like that, and so she can talk a little bit about that stuff. Um, my thing is I really like mentoring. And together, her and I, we've since we've been together, we've now taken out six, seven people. Yeah, at least seven people. About seven different people um, over the last five years and helped them get on their first elk, uh, which has been kind of cool. Uh, so we might dive into a little bit of that. Uh, Dana, okay. why don't you share your experience? Well, so, so I do have to ask, uh, you yeah. said the Redwoods. Where, uh, where are you originally from in California? So actually the Bay, Oakland Bay area Okay. until I was 12. So that's the city. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then moved up to the Santa Cruz Mountains. So I was eight miles from Santa Cruz Beach. Okay. But up into the Redwood National Forest towards like Big uh, Sur area. Yep. So okay. beautiful, but never came, talked about hunting out up there. You know, we're about surfing. We, oh, yeah. we lived, you know, close to the ocean. Um, so, yeah, I definitely understand the city mentality. Um, coming to Colorado, still love the mountains, whole form of mountains. Um, married a preservation person because his father was a National Audubon photographer for Mutual of Omaha and Wild Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so that was all preservation. And so that was my mentality. I didn't know what conservation was yeah. until I met him. And so even though I'm all about the, the meat, because um, I was already buying like free-range foods and things like that, um, the idea of how I was going to get that was a whole nother story because I wasn't brought up that way. I wasn't brought up thinking that way. And, um, you know, and, and it's, you're in the mountains. Mm -hmm. So it's a whole different ball game with how to be prepared. And how did the two of you end up meeting? So uh, I was a hairdresser. Uh, well, still currently hold my license, uh, but uh, I uh, did hair for 18 years. Uh, she uh, did hair as well and at the time when I met her she was working at a beauty supply house and I'd come in and to get some uh, color and some products stuff like that and she dropped uh, I dropped my card off there well one night I was out at a nightclub and she saw me and she walked up and asked uh, if I wanted to dance and so we danced a footloose yeah. and uh, <laughs> I uh, uh, after the song I left and I don't know maybe a couple days later since she had my business card from the beauty supply house uh, she called me up and was like, I want to go dancing again. And so I was like, sure, let's go dancing again. So that's kind of where that started. And uh, from there, she learned a little bit about me. And she's a big tomboy. And <laughs> so she was all about the outdoors and camping and, and hiking and stuff like that. Um, but uh, from her background, was more compassionate towards animals and stuff like that. Uh, and so that's where she had come from. And it's like, I'm not sure about this, you know. And, yeah. Uh, but uh, educated her a little bit about uh, that hunting is conservation and uh, that uh, the, the meat is will sustain us, especially like on an elk, will sustain you know two people. One elk can sustain you six months to a year, and she really loved that and being all natural, organic, things of that nature. So uh, she started asking questions. So uh, when did you, when did you first find out about this hunting thing from? And like when was that first like did that first introduction happen? Probably because he had moved in with me and um, was, well, actually, even before that, he would message me from the mountain 
you know, we would text back and <laughs> forth at night before he went to bed. And I knew he was hunting, but didn't really care what it was about. Just knew he did it, you know. But he then also he always had his stories when he came back, his successes, his failures, and you know, we would talk about it. You know, it was his thing, though. You know, I I wasn't even looking at making it part of my life at that point because we were more friends mm -hmm. before the relationship really took off so um that's how i got introduced to it with him yeah it's kind of funny in fact we, we we can't officially really say you know well this is our anniversary date so i what i think is kind of interesting is we have set our anniversary date as to be what oh the uh first opening day of archery season every year <laughs> right <laughs> it's, it's what's kind of bonded us that is a a true hunting couple <laughs> right there. Right. Well, when do we really start dating? Well, do we pick our first dance? No, we're going to pick our first opening day together. <laughs> yep. So yeah. every year, because, you know, our season dates change, it's never like September 1 to September 30. You know, in Colorado, it's always uh, kind of a Saturday. So some years our anniversary date might be August 23rd or 24th or 25th <laughs> or 26th. This year, I, I believe our first, uh, our anniversary is going to be, uh, I believe, August August 30th, I think our first archery is opening day for archery for us in Colorado. But so it's kind of interesting. That's uh, it's kind of funny. <laughs> but so you came into it with very much a mindset, like you said, a preservation mindset, not necessarily a conservation mindset. Right. Um, I've I've heard people talk about the difference before, but maybe maybe go into a little bit of uh, of the difference between the two, between the concept of preservation versus conservation. So with the preservation, what I learned about that is a lot of the organizations with filming of the animals in their wild natural habitat was to preserve the habitat and the safety and the security for those animals to reproduce and to survive and live. Without the understanding of overpopulation, disease, like they don't, I didn't learn any of that and what happens to them when you just let them go you know, and then you overprotect them and they just end up with disease and, you know, starvation. So with conservation, what I learned with how the tags are managed and why we have things set up the way we do, especially in Colorado, is so that, um, you know, we can go out, harvest animals, and usually it's the weaker ones, you know, the, the stronger ones usually survive over the weaker ones. So you're taking those ones out, but you're also, you know, maintaining a balance that would, and I think in preservation is kind of off. And so I see the benefit of the conservation, you're not, you know, going in and how um, they're managing animals and, you know, how the migrations and, you know, they're taking out maybe some of the weak, the weak links where later on down the line, those animals aren't going to survive because the, the stronger um, generations are gone. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of what I've learned about it, you know, with all the different types of, you know, especially with elk, but, you know, and these herd animals mm -hmm. is it's super important, you know, for their, their survival. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there, uh, you know, that want to see certain animals um we'll just use the wolf as an example you know oh yeah it's pretty you know it's majestic things of that nature however they don't understand uh what kind of destruction can happen if you don't manage that species properly 
and that's where the preservation versus conservation comes in it for me. You know, you see what has happened in Idaho, Montana, uh, Wyoming, things of that nature. We had these big herds, and yes, we need to be able to properly manage herd sizes, um, and I'm all about doing it naturally, but some animals, the wolf in particular, doesn't either. It's an apex predator that does nothing but kill for fun, okay? Yes, they are pretty, okay? But I'd rather go look at those in a zoo than say, well, to please one small group because they want that. Um, let's bring that back. Let's reintroduce that because what's going to happen is then you're going to see herd sizes diminish and uh, uh, much larger groups, your deer groups, your elk groups, sheep, goats, things like that. those are going to suffer. So to please one, that's where, for me, conservation versus preservation is, is, is key mm -hmm. uh, for me. So well, trying to we're so far beyond the point of nature can right itself. We, right. I mean, you know, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, we need to be giving up our houses and living in, you know, wood huts in the middle of the forest. I'm not saying that, but honestly, we as people have encroached on nature so much that we have thrown it completely out of whack. And it is up to us to ensure that it, it stays in balance. And, you know, people have this fantasy idea that if we just left it alone, it would, it would balance itself. Well, not going to happen. There's a lot of species that are gone that, that helped with that balance. There's, I mean, you look at those wolves. They reintroduced a different subspecies of wolf. It's a larger, more aggressive species of wolf. Yep. And whether, whether it was that different species because it was a different species of wolf, whether it was because it was a, there was maybe some sort of feature or other predator land environment that existed back then that kept them in check. Whatever that was, it's not there anymore. And now they are running rampant in all the neighboring states and, and everything. It's crazy. Yeah. So it's been interesting to try and teach Dana some of this stuff. Um, she didn't grow up with it. Uh, other things, you know, she's learned. Um, you know, she's backpacked. She's uh, this year. Uh, we did, uh, what was it, 19 miles, I think, the first uh, scouting trip this year, uh, oh, round yeah. trip. <laughs> Over so, four days, yeah. Because yeah. Dana and I are, are, are somewhat privileged right now to where we can hunt as much as we want. Um, we, we took on a big task, and this year we uh, decided to hunt all 30 days in the wilderness using horses, but we had to go in and do some scouting and stuff like that. So uh, she had never gone into a wilderness uh, backpacking that kind of length, that kind of time. And so it's been kind of fun to teach her some of that aspect of it, gear, um, nutrition, physical training, you know, various weapons. She uses both her bows. She's also got her crossbow um, uh, permit in Colorado. Um, even though she still likes to use her regular bow and prefers to use that over her crossbow, uh, getting her to shoot a 30-06. So this year we went back with the bows and did all 30. Well, I did 30 days. She did 24 days, I think, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, with horses and things like that. But our first scouting trip, right out of the box, 19 miles, and she was a champ, and that was pretty cool. So getting some of that stuff. So what's some of maybe the uh – in your, in your time hunting and as you're progressing more and more uh, deeply into, I guess, I hate using this term, your hunting journey. <laughs> um, <laughs> it just sounds so floofy. But uh, as you're progressing further into your hunting journey, what, what are some of maybe the key, key lessons you've taken away over the past, over the past uh, few years? 
Well, mental preparedness probably number one. In, because learning and understanding what I'm going, I mean, when I'm going in blind and I have no idea like the wilderness, I have to pre mentally prepare myself for whatever, right? And that means being physically prepared, having what I need in my pack as far as, you know, water, food, you know, knowing I can take care of myself. Um, then the other thing, you know, is when I, when I get back in there, it's a different awareness because it's a whole new environment than, you know, being in the city. So now I'm in, I, my ears open, my eyes open, my awareness changes because my environment around me has changed. So I adapt. And so adapting to me is really important um, because it's, also, it's my survivor. You know, I'm surviving back there now. This is not my natural habitat anymore. I'm in their habitat. So I have to know who I am back there and have my goals. And, um, and I try and take every step that James takes me through back there and learn something from it. So when I go back, I'm even more prepared. You know, so I know I need to do this physically and I need to bring this in next time. And, you know, and I'm not blind anymore. So, you know, that knowledge is power for me. Um, because it's, it, I mean, through growing, you know, each year it's something new because he is an adventure and he likes to challenge himself. So guess who gets to go along for the challenge, <laughs> whether I'm ready or not? I drag her along, <laughs> kicking and screaming sometimes. She's always up for it. Like, she never says no. Um, she'll do anything once. Once she figures it out, uh, you know, and she's done it once, she'll tell me, yeah, I want to do that again. Like, this year we used horses. She did it. She's never going to do that. The horses weren't the, her thing, so mm -hmm. which is fine. And it's been kind of neat uh, going on this ride with her because I am, I'm an extremist. Um, I think one of the first, her first hunt was an extreme, but the next year after that was very extreme. I basically broke her in just to say, okay, I'm going to take you along for a first season rifle hunt um to see how she is well her first season her first time ever hunting period lasted one legal second she had a bull tag i got you know a bull to start bugling right even before we could even uh legally shoot we see it about five minutes before legal shoot line we're watching watching as soon as uh that second hit we can uh legally fire there was a cow that i had a cow tag she had a bull tag i said one two three she shoots her bull. I shoot the cow. They fall over. She's like, wow. <laughs> that wasn't hard. And I was like, you're right. But Why now does we gotta... everyone complain about this elk hunting thing? It's so easy. <laughs> right, exactly. So we have to go down there, and now it's like, okay, we've got to pack it out. Well, now we move forward a full another year, and I said, okay, it's going to get a little bit harder. Now we're going to go archery hunting. We're going to also do rifle. Um, we start out with a game plan. She doesn't draw her tag for the archery, so she has to do an over-the-counter second season rifle bull tag so we wind up actually being there for a total of 63 straight days living in a wall tent you know 10,000 foot elevation you know i threw her into the deep end of the pool <laughs> right and so to expand on what she's talking about here as far as that awareness you know if, if you're not used to being in a wall tent and being isolated like that in the quietness and nobody really around, it can be a little unnerve-wracking. You, you kind of want that. Well, as time went on, she got a little bit more aware of her strengths and that she can, if I'm out hunting, you know, she knows that she can handle herself if something comes about, you know, whether that be another person coming up 
or whether that's an animal or you know whether or not she's out of this or needs something that she, she's self-reliant um, and stuff like that so every year it's kind of gotten bigger and bigger and grander and grander um, it's scaled back a little bit now I think this year we, we don't have any major super plans like we've had the last couple of times um, we're gonna probably kind of regress a little bit kind of take it we're still going to do all 30 days archery season and we'll still do probably like a first season um uh, rifle tag in colorado but next year i think uh we're probably going to be doing um at least two states uh and be back to that super so this year not so much but next year she'll be right back at that and, and she's learned what she can do what she can't what she likes what she doesn't like definitely <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you guys were talking a little bit about uh, your big passion is taking others out and, and uh, sharing with them and helping them in the outdoors and through their hunting experience. Tell me maybe a little bit about that. You want to start? No, you can start with that one because it's okay. your passion. Well, for me, um, everybody gets excited when they kill an elk, okay? I've killed 42 of them. Although I still get excited about killing elk, I don't get as excited about my own personal success. So every year I try and find somebody, we find somebody, we vet somebody that we take out, okay? Um, and we mentor them on how to get there. 14 is my number. I, I got asked yesterday, uh, I was talking elk with somebody, so what's the biggest bull you've ever killed? And I said, 14. Huh, what? I said, 14, that's my number. They said, what do you mean? I said, 14 pe people is who I've taken out and got them on their first elk. That's the number that's important to me because it's been underprivileged youth. It's been a couple of women. It's been teenagers. It's been grown, grown men. Um, and so we look for somebody who is, is not going to be that ego or I've been there, done that, I know this, I, you know, things like that. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for that, um, that individual that is worthwhile, that's willing to listen, that's willing to learn. I'm not saying that I know everything because I don't. However, having the success I have, I've come up with what I feel is a good formula or a good way to go about to be uh, successful. This past year, even though we were in the wilderness, I rode out uh, and I brought a colonel um, who had just retired from the army uh, he had spent 26 years um, he he'd reached the level of, of being a colonel which brings a lot of of notoriety uh, and worthiness to it and that's what I felt uh, I'd followed him on Facebook and Instagram and I'd seen that he had struggled uh, a couple of years um, and not been successful so I reached out to him and I said hey would you like to come with us? I know that if you come with us, I, I can uh, get you on one. He was like, heck yes, I do. So he started becoming my friend. We started uh, doing, talking and, and things of that nature. Well, then I was like, okay, I can, I can spend seven days with this individual. You know, I'm not a guide. There was no money. There's nothing exchanged. It's free. I just wanted him to be successful. And that's what I did. And so... I rode out. I got him. He, he rode in. Uh, I think it was day seven or eight. I called a uh, six-by-six bull in to 32 yards. He'd never even got to draw his bow. He'd been out west 
um, three times, twice to Colorado, once to Arizona, and never even got to draw his bow. And so just that was what he wanted. The kill was icing on the cake. He just wanted mm -hmm. to get drawn on a, on a bull. Well, six by six comes in, 32 yards. He smokes it. Bull goes 214 yards. And to watch a guy that has served in the Middle East combat um, reach the level of colonel, things of that nature, become like almost like a child you know, in his excitement on Christmas morning, if you to, to put that in a visual context, that's what it was like. And that's what we do. That's that's what we are about. Dana is really good with that. Um, she she understands and reads people better than I do. I have the physical I okay, A, B and C. We gotta do A, B and C, but when people when they start to do A, B and C change emotionally, uh, mentally that's her special. She sees that. So she helps me with the vetting um, and, and how to corral me if I'm going too hard with these people <laughs> because Dana is five foot zero. I call her five foot nothing. She's fun size, yeah. right? I'm king size snicker. She's fun size snicker, okay? <laughs> I walk three times her pace, mm -hmm. okay? She's been there. I've put her through the ringer. So when we get these individuals that aren't capable uh, she's like hey you got to take it you know well yeah it's it's like james you know be aware that this is not you they don't have your pain threshold they don't know these mountains like they are entrusting their safety and well-being on you and if you sit there and punish them on the mountain you it's not good. They're going to yeah. probably want to go away, <laughs> you know? It kind of, it's almost defeating, you know, when you have someone who's as vetted as he is and you admire him and you trust him, you know, to try and keep up with that is can be really intimidating, you know? And so to say, hey, hon, um, let's take it down. and Or, you know what, everybody's beat up. We're tired. We need to re-energize. Let's eat well. Let's hydrate maybe take half a day, do an afternoon hunt, you know, instead of, you know, beating ourselves up, at, you know, day in and day out because, you know, we're on a time constraint. It, that's not always the best way to go about it because if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to be at your best. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's kind of something that I try and bring to the situation on top of, you know, eating right and, you know, and just the mental and physical well-being. So uh, what, um, you know, a lot of these people I'm assuming you've brought out, this may be their, may be their first hunt, it may be their third hunt. Uh, what's some uh, advice maybe for, for someone like, say, if, what would you tell someone you're like, okay, you know, you're bringing them out for their first hunt, like you, they've won an elk, you want to get them on an elk. Um, how would you tell them to prepare for this hunt, whether, whether that's physically or mentally or like Gear-wise, whatever that is. I got, I got what you're looking for here. Uh, you know, your listeners here um, may have never set foot in Elkwoods, okay? Uh, what I would tell your listeners would be, first and foremost, whether you think you're, you can or you can't, you have to do it. Don't let fear stop you from going and doing it. Because for the most part, you're going to stay, because your fear is going to keep you safe, okay? Play within your comfort zone. But push that envelope 
maybe the first year you you, you go out west to go hunting. So um, let's say we have a guy that lives in L.A., right? He's used to the beach, never gone hunting, but he's interested in wanting to go out to Colorado or out west to go elk hunting. I'd say you come out, you know, well, maybe that truck is the first thing. You know, you can't buy your truck, right? And you go out for day hikes. Well, then the next year you're going to say, well, I want to go a little bit further. So push that envelope with your comfort zone. Don't worry so much about the gear, okay? Buy the tags over the gear, okay? You come to a show like this, there's thousands of booths here. They're all selling you different backpacks or different bows or guns or bullets or this, that, or whatever, okay? The basis for what you need to be able to be successful is you need to, is to be comfortable. Now that can range from the guy that has no budget to unlimited funds. Okay, if you're on a budget, find the best available gear for your budget, but get the tag first. Okay, you can come out and you can sleep in your car. You got a sleeping bag. You can go to the Salvation Army or the Goodwill store and get a backpack that, you know, um, and, and start to now, you will find that better gear will make it more comfortable, right? When I started hunting, when I was Technically, 14 would be able to carry a rifle or a bow, okay? That's when I could get the tag. So we'll take it from there. Well, at that time, I was using a $1 frame backpack that my father picked up from a Goodwill store, <laughs> okay? Well, today, I happen to own a Kafaru backpack. It's a $700 plus backpack. What's the difference? Well, now when I put an animal on my back, it's more comfortable for me than that. Do both backpacks get the job done? Absolutely, okay? But it's about my comfortability. I can afford to wear a $700. If you can't afford to wear a $700 backpack, go get what you can afford. You, the product's gonna be able to do it. You're gonna be more miserable, as I try and tell people, embrace the suck. Because <laughs> big game hunting, especially elk hunting, is going to suck at some point. You hear every year, I have, seen it firsthand okay i have taken out the the menliest of men as they say and see them crumble okay i have also seen women i thought that were and kids that i thought were like there's no way this person's going to be able to do this and i've watched them succeed because it's mental strong not physical strength um, when it comes to hunting so for your listeners get the tags just go out and start doing now if to get prepared for it cardio put weight in that backpack put it on your back maybe that starts with 20 pounds for a week or a month and then a, a week later if that's too easy or a month later it's become easier start to increase that because at some point when you are successful you're going to have to put a serious amount of weight on your back even if it's only for 100 yards to get it from here to the road, mm -hmm. okay? So start to do that. That helps with the conditioning aspect. That, that helps with the mental suck, okay? The other thing is practice. Practice with what you're using. Don't go to Walmart and buy a bow and then think that you're gonna go the next day and go hunting, okay? Or you're not gonna go down to the local sporting goods store and you're gonna buy a rifle and not shoot it and go hunting and be successful. I don't care if it's you're practicing for a week or a month, but the more you practice, the better that that becomes.
right? So get the tag, start to acquire some gear, start to get in physical shape. When it comes to, you know, the mental side of things is, you know, start to become mentally, put yourself out there when you are in just a little bit longer. If you start to feel yourself five minutes before sundown going, I need to leave right now. Well, maybe next time you leave at sundown or, you know, kind of thing. You know, start to push that mental envelope a little bit. And as you do that, you'll find yourself being more successful because for me, I'm out there in the dark, staying until it's dark. Well, when I first started, I was scared of the dark. I was petrified being on the mountain because behind every tree, there was a lion or a bear, or, you know, that was going that was going to do something to me, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was my, for me personally, that was my mental weakness, and because I was a kid. Well, that's what my father told me. My father said, "Hey, you know, if that's what you're scared of, then what are you going to do in case that does happen?" Well, I went out and I practiced with a handgun. I practiced with bear spray, you know, that nature, things of that. And, and after a period of time, it became easier. And, to where now I don't even have to carry it. I don't carry a sidearm. I mean, although I probably should. <laughs> uh, I had a bear two years ago, last year. Last well, year. In 2017, uh, I killed a bear at 10 feet that I thought was charging me mm-hmm. with, with my bow. Yeesh. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. It, it, it wasn't really charging me. It ended up getting scared downhill but at the time, and so that made me rethink things. But... I was mentally prepared for that moment mm-hmm. when that happened. I had ice water running through my veins. I didn't start shaking until after the situation was over. And then I was like, wow, that could have gone a whole other direction. <laughs> so that's what I would tell your listeners. I tell your listeners, you know, just come and do it. Get the, get the tags. Buy what gear you can afford. Start to do some physical conditioning, even if it's on the street. If you can go to a, a, a hill you know, walk up and down with that. Um, you know, from a newbie's perspective, Dana, what would you say? I mean, well, I mean, if we're thinking about, you know, someone who lives in the city, because, you know, when we go for hikes, we'll leave the city, go to foothills, right? They aren't the big mountains, but if you put some weight on your back and you do those, that's a good way to mm-hmm. train. You know, going from, you know, a city with all just cars and people and, you know, you're surrounded by everything you need and that grocery store is around the corner. And, you know, of course, when you go up the, up to the mountains, you're not going to have all of those things anymore. And so it is that mentality of um, saying, okay, well, this is what I'm here for. So it's your goal. You're going to set a goal. You, you know, and it's all the planning, like he was saying, and getting yourself prepared, um, what you think you're capable of doing. The one thing I think I learned is I underestimated myself. I got caught up in fear of the unknown because I had never done anything like this, you know, and it's like, okay, so, you know, am I going to be okay out there? And am I going to have what I need? And, and, you know, how am I going to react to animals and weather and living, you know, sleeping in a tent and sleeping on the ground and then, you know, finally getting my goal, which was that elk, you know, and what if I didn't get the elk? How was I going to feel? I'm going to come home a failure, you know, and then have to tell all my friends. And um, so there's a lot to it, uh, especially when you start meeting like-minded people, um, you know, in Denver who, you know, have had success and, you know, have all their stories. And here I'm brand new and, you know, I'm 
setting, I'm getting all these expectations built up. Mm -hmm. And that's probably was my worst enemy was my own expectations of what this journey was going to be. Yeah. Because I saw all everybody else's journeys like, okay, what is mine going to look like when I've never been there and never done this? And, you know, it felt kind of lame out of all honesty. It's like, oh, my gosh. It's like I don't fit. You know, like, I, I don't fit here. But you know what? That's a lie. Like, I was lying to myself because what I learned is if I choose to do this, I am quite capable. Uh, and it's just taking, it's like that one foot in front of another and, you know, keep setting those goals and keep going for them. And, you know, give it the best you can. And, you know, don't beat yourself up over it because it's all learning. And the more you learn, the better you get. Absolutely. So... I was going through the Instagram uh, a couple days ago, uh, you know, after we had talked, I was kind of browsing a little bit, and looks like you had a bit of a difficult time with an elk uh, not too long, not too far back. Um. <laughs> difficult time with an elk. I, let's see which picture. I'm so trying, let's trying see, to let's see if I can pull it up. I'll probably have to, I'll probably have to link, link to this one. Um, would it be the video where I clipped a branch? Uh, it was a photo of your leg. Um, I believe it was this photo. Oh, okay. That's not my leg. That's actually, okay. That's why. Yes, that's me. Uh, it was it, it was the difficulty during an elk hunt, um, but not my leg. It was actually my side. Okay. That, that's the part that I was like. like your leg. <laughs> so that was last, that, this was this past season um, using horses. So. Paul was successful with his with his uh, elk. We're riding it out, and I've got these horses, these rental horses, and I, I get to a point where I can get cell phone service. And what does everybody want to do the moment that, that you have some cell phone service and you've been successful? Elk down! Right? You want to post something to Instagram or Facebook and let, let the world know, right? Mm-hmm. So, just like you're not supposed to text and drive, <laughs> you shouldn't use your phone and ride a horse either <laughs> so i'm on this horse it's a rental horse so i know nothing about this horse um paul's riding on uh and i was like oh i'll catch up well not knowing these horses this horse didn't want to be left when the other two are leaving and so it starts acting up and i'm trying to sit there and upload a picture and it's wanted to take off well finally it's like nope i've had enough and it just Ooh. Takes off running for, for Paul to catch up with the other horses. No matter what I did, I couldn't stop it. And I'm wearing a backpack, and I've got a Nalgene bottle on my hip. Okay. And this horse is heading for some rocks and some trees, and it's not stopping. It's full-on running. And I'm, I made the decision that I was going to bail off of this horse where I thought it was going to be the softest uh, to land and not hopefully not die. Um, because this horse was not going to stop. Well, when I bailed off with my backpack and my Nalgene bottle on my hip, I bounced twice Ooh. off of that Nalgene bottle. I wind up bruising my entire lower abdomen and hip, belly button to the middle of my back, basically. Ooh. And I'm on the ground. I start screaming. Uh, and Paul's like, are you okay? And I, I said every cuss word you possibly could think of probably at that point. But I tell him, give me a second, I'll be all right, okay? So I bounce up from that after a few minutes. 
I walk over to where he's at, and my horse is there, calm as can be, next to his, like nothing had happened. I walk up, I grab the uh, uh, the reins underneath his chin, and I have a face-to-face eye. <laughs> You're not doing that again. I'm your master kind of talk with this horse, and I was fine. Although I was sore and beat up, this was halfway through the season, and, I'm, and I've still got a couple weeks left of hunting. Um, we get through that, riding out, I now have another horse incident. Now, I didn't wind up with any bruising off of this second. I didn't wind up with cracked ribs, and it happened seven and a half miles from my vehicle. Oh. Um, getting out of uh, camp, we're all packed up. We literally ride 10 yards, and my horse that I'm on decides to start bucking. And oh, I've man. got an 80-pound backpack on on this horse, and I'm going to try and tow two other horses to leave. Um, and I get bounced off, crack two ribs. I'm not going to get back on another horse. It's just not happening. So I end up walking three horses out, 80-pound pack, cracked ribs, seven and oh. a half miles. So, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a very rough, rough uh, exit um, and, and dealing with horses. The home was successful, uh-huh. but <laughs> dealing with there, horses. There was a on. price paid after the fact. There was. Um, so, t- you know, anybody listening to this that's interested in coming out and using horses, my advice uh, would be if you can physically kind of meet your horses before you go to take them, um, you know, do so if you don't own your own horses. I would suggest that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you know your horses, that's a little bit better. I was using rental horses. I didn't know them. Um, the, the other thing was that they were really big. These are halflinger horses. If you don't know what a halflinger horse is, it's it's a little bit smaller than a Clydesdale. Just, I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're big. Uh, they're big, powerful horses. Uh, they're typically used in bucking uh, for bronc riding, um, things like that. So these horses... Uh, were very temperamental, um, weren't the best horses. Mm-hmm. So everybody that has rented horses kind of says that either they had great experiences with them or they've had horrible. I'm on yeah. that horrible side. We went in, I uh, my Colorado hunt this last year, I, I went in with a buddy who has pack llamas. And some of the stuff we went through, I was just, I was thinking, because, you know, we, we were talking about other pack animals and goats and horses and, and mm-hmm. ways to get in and, you know, I mean, the benefit of horses, obviously, is you can ride them. You're doing less hiking. Uh, but I have heard, like, same, similar situation. I've honestly heard a lot of just nightmare stories with horses because they're, they're temperamental. You're on their backs, and if they get spooked, you're probably not staying on their back. And <laughs> llamas, though, and the, looking at some of that terrain, like, that we were crossing with the llamas, I was like, I would, I would never in my life cross this on the back of a horse. Like... Yeah, and, you know, it, it, there is a misconception that people think that you're going to be on a horse. I mean, you don't necessarily. There, I found, honestly, and if I was to rewind time and do this over again, I would still use those same horses, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't have tried riding them. I, I would have taken less gear and walked in with them because I, it didn't really give me an advantage mm-hmm. by riding because of dealing with the number of horses yeah. because you're waiting on them. Um, ironically enough, I had some friends in the same area I was hunting that rented two llamas and so it was kind of neat for me on a personal level because those guys and myself had gone in the year before on foot Mm -hmm. and then 
I got talking to them for this year and um, this past year, and, and I said, well, I'm going to rent horses and do this. And they're like, well, we're going to rent llamas. And so it was neat for me because I got to compare a little bit and, and, and pick their brain after this season yeah. of, of their struggles. And llamas, mules, and horses all have their place. They all oh, have yeah. their positive and they all have their negative. Uh, I don't know that one's better over the other. For my particular area, I think doing llamas would have been better mm -hmm. for sure. A um, couple reasons. Llamas can go longer periods of time without water with by using horses. We had to water our horses every day. We had to feed our horses every day. Mm -hmm. um, we were handicapped because we were leaving camp and, and hiking five, six, seven, even one day we did over 10 mile loop on foot, but we had to loop back to our camp. Now that means we had to leave animals to get back to camp. So if, if I was using llamas in that particular case and I was on elk, well, I could have stayed the night and my llamas would have been fine because they didn't get water, mm -hmm. right? Um, the downside to using llamas is I was able to pack an entire elk out with one of my horses. You can't do that with a llama. And if you're back... What kind of weight can a horse carry as far as... Uh, just as, as just a pack horse, say, one of, one of the, so the one company, of ones you were the using? So the company that I rented my horses from uh, didn't want more than 200 pounds uh, on the horse, mm -hmm. okay? Um, now, I deboned my animal, uh, this elk. Um, I didn't use my pack scale um, because I basically was like, okay, two front quarters, one on each side, two back quarters, one on each side, you know, one tenderloin on the left, one tenderloin on the right. We just bl split it right down the middle. Um, and I even packed out my, uh, the antlers mm -hmm. uh, on this horse. And so it took the entire elk, but it was pretty, pretty good size. Um, with the studying and with, with talking to various outfitters and things like that, um, the consensus was we had heard everything from some outfitters say we don't do more than 80 pounds per side. Mm -hmm. And I had another, I had a girl uh, that was an outfitter that said we don't do more than 125 pounds per side. So if you want to average that out, let's just say 100 pounds per side. Um, when we packed in and we used our back scales, I had a couple of 95 on each side plus a, a top pack. So... With, which had clothes, a top pack, you know, softer stuff. So your sleeping bags, puffy mm -hmm. jackets, things of that nature. But I was still pushing 200, 210 pounds um, per animal uh, total. You can't do that with a llama. Oh, yeah. No, you're, I mean, you're limited upper end 80, maybe 90 pounds if it's a large llama. Like, right. you really don't want to take, you know, my buddy, I was talking with him, and, you know, he's, he's told me, you know, he's had llamas that, that'll pack out 100 pounds, but... That's 100 pounds total. Yeah, and that's right. total. That's not either in each side. and um, So they definitely, you know, they definitely sure. have their place. Like, if we had, sure. if we had been packing out an elk, we would have still had a lot of weight on our back. You might have had to sure. do two trips or, or have more llamas mm -hmm. uh, kind of thing, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and we had we had four llamas with us, so, okay. you know, we, we could have we could have definitely packed out. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, llamas are little a-holes. They are, I mean... You just know they're trying to plot your death. Really? You, like, they're just the way they're looking at you. They'll never do anything, but they're plotting it. They're plotting it. <laughs> um, it, it but it was, it was nice because we would, you know, we'd check on them every day, but sure. we, um, you know, we'd, we had a, a water source, and so we'd go, we'd tend to keep them close to the water source if we could, and then we'd, we'd move the line every 
couple of days every, uh, you know, so they had some fresh feed and we were pretty lucky that we didn't really have to go, we didn't have to get to a point where we were, you know, going a day or two without having to feed them. Um, but, you know, all, you didn't have all the animals. You feed for them either. Yeah, no See, feed. The horses, you got to pack that in, don't you? If you don't have feed, we had good grass where we had, so we didn't have to pack in feed, but I did pack in um, grain. grain. Um, my friends that were using llamas and from my research, you know, they're browsers. Llamas are browsers, so mm -hmm. that's another benefit to a llama. Um, you know, kind of thing. They they don't you don't have to pack in the feed, so that 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 is another yep. bonus for for that versus. Um, also, I think llamas llamas and mules probably are about on an equal as far as sure footing, footiness. Mm -hmm. I noticed with our horses, you know, if you there was a one place particularly where they were a little skittish, but they get through it, um, and it was fine. If I had a horse that couldn't get through that, I'd have been stuck. Llamas and mules, man, they're sure footed. They they know and they'll go. I was amazed at some of the stuff that they were just like, you know, they'd get irritated, but they were they were solid as hell. What was your take on it, Dana? What was your using the horses? I mean, you and I've had this conversation. <laughs> um, is it something that I have a desire to ever do again? No, I horses <laughs> haven't been my favorite. I did ride them um, in California before. I had ridden on other occasions. I'm um, because I'm so short. It is scary being that high and then having a backpack on, not being, feeling very stable, and they are a lot of work, you mm -hmm. know, and then not knowing how to ride very well or take care of them, you know, or even understand their behavior. It was a very intimidating process for me, you know. So, I mean, I felt on edge the whole time I was with them. You know, and then not having steady footing. I prayed a lot. It, <laughs> it was rough. I mean, was I grateful that they could carry in a bunch of gear? Yeah. Did, was I even comfortable leading them? No, because they could run me over, you know. And yeah. then if you're standing behind them, they'll kick you. I, so it was just, for me, I, I would try. I was an, pushing that boundary, what I was saying earlier about that fear. Yep. I, I, I had to push her on that a little bit. You know, and this is one particular case where she, okay, I pushed her, she got through it, and now she's like, nope, don't want to do that again. <laughs> yeah. I won't push anymore. I will leave that up to her um, just so she knows that she's capable. Mm -hmm. I knew that she was capable of doing it. Now that I've seen her do it and where that was at, and she's like, nope, I don't want to do that. I personally won't push that any further. I think we'll enjoy our time better in that particular spot by not using horses. Maybe we'll use llamas. Mules. Maybe we'll just hike in there um, and do more scouting trips and take more gear and and uh, and do shorter trips and have to come out and stuff like that if we want to hunt that particular area. But now that she's been through it and has dealt with that fear and dealt with some of that stuff, it's, yeah, because we were lucky. I mean, we're a little crazy. People, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you did 30 days in the wilderness with horses and you don't have horse experience. And I'm an extremist. You know, I'm not telling people to go out and do what I do, um, but you got to remember, I've been pushing my boundaries since I was a little kid when it came to hunting. You know, some people that are just getting into hunting like Dana five years ago, not on that level. But I expect her to get to my level a lot sooner than I got there. That's a good and a bad thing. I'm not saying yeah. it's the right way, but it's what we've done and... Well, he took me on a death march, <laughs> and I was post-sprained ankle. Ooh. So I ended up duct-taping my ankle because of, of all the side-hilling that we did. Mm -hmm. We ran out of water. 
but he was ingenious. Thank God it rained, so we were able to capture water, but he, he will test you. You know, it's like, because this is what he does. And, you know, I, and I think there's good and bad because at least he, he knows that the people that he's taking back there, they're going to be okay, right? He doesn't want to carry a person out. He wants to carry an animal out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I trust him. Do I always agree with him? No. <laughs> you know? And, and that's where those conversations come in because it's all about boundaries, you yep. know, and, and understanding what you, you can and cannot do for yourself. So. Our partnership works better, too, in the backcountry now because of that. I know now from pushing those boundaries where her breaking point is. So when it comes to that go time, maybe it's 9 o'clock at night and we just located that animal and now I got to break it down. It's dark. I have to, we have to, to get it back to camp. I know more where, where her breaking point is. You know, she doesn't like to side hill. So I now, because of that prior experience with rolling that ankle and putting her in that extreme situation, I can look at a map. I can look at the terrain and say, you know what? All right, here's A and B. We can either side hill and you're going to run the risk of possibly spraining your ankle or we, it's shorter or we can take the easier route where we're not side hilling as much but this is you know you're going to be longer things of that nature mm-hmm. um you know and i get to understand her and, and there's a lot of communication level um until you know where somebody's at you know you're the person in charge but once you kind of know where they're at or what they can do you have to be able to also have that communication and, and pose okay you i've seen you can do this you don't like to do it make that choice and, and, we, and we talk a lot of things out now and um, and we work really well in the backcountry together she has her role she I, I put expectations on her not that expectations are good but there's certain expectations like I need you to carry X amount of weight I need you to be able to pull X amount of poundage on your bow um, I need you to do X Y and Z mm-hmm. she can get there now now that I know she can get there, when it's going gets hard, I'm like, hey, you've done this before, you know? Yeah. And she has more confidence as well, too, that she talked about that fear, you know, have, have any, would you say any, Dana, any of the fear that you've had not in the past has come true? So any of my fears that my past fears come true? Um, probably not on a, like a physical basis maybe disappointment Mm -hmm. because you know I wanted something so bad and feeling like I failed so I think that that fear being disappointed yes I I, last year was a very hard year it was very personally challenging it was a rough hunting year as far as you know finding animals Um, you know then I came home with tag soup you know, so I have to look at those tags that are unfilled. <laughs> so, yeah, like that, because that's a fear that came about for me. Sure. So, I'm thinking more on a physical fear. Like, when you think of, like, I can remember when you first started hunting with me, and you were like, well, I don't know if I can stay alone at camp because, oh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And now it's, it's nothing, right? No. It's, I think you have more, rather fear, I'd call those more expectations that haven't been fulfilled. And those are disappointments. Mm-hmm. Um, so far as that goes, but so if people wanted to find you guys online, follow along on the adventures, where can they look? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you can find me at six with sticks and that's S I X 
W-I-T-H-S-T-I-X-S. So six with sticks on IG or Instagram, and then James Hardesty, H-A-R-D-E-S-T-Y, on Facebook. Uh, I I don't do Twitter. I don't do any other social net, you know, just Instagram and, and Facebook. Awesome. And mine is all grandbaby right now. So <laughs> adventures are going to be all under him. So you're going to see both of our stuff on him because that's where it goes is under his post. Mine is babies right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. I will make sure to link to your page uh, <laughs> on the show notes page. Um, so I always like to end with just say, you know, you're here at the expo. There's tons of different kinds of people here from all different backgrounds, from all different locales. You know, maybe you're waiting in line for something or whatever it is. You're talking to someone and they say, well, you know, I'm seeing all this. I've always kind of been interested in hunting. I wanted to check this out. So I came out, but I'm feeling a little intimidated. I don't have a background in this. Uh, I don't know if this is something I should do or could do. What advice or in, uh kind of words of inspiration would you give that person well i just actually had that happen i just did a elk calling contest over at the mountain ops booth and there was a kid there and he was real intimidated you know he'd never done a calling contest before i come out here and i have a lot of experience with calling i work for phelps game calls Uh, i'm a great caller and i had to go up against him and he was and i said you know what just give it your best just you know just come and do it you know you only fail if you don't try. And so that would be my advice is, you know, you're a failure if you don't try. You will never fail if you give it the best effort you can. Your effort doesn't have to be my effort. It has to be your effort. So, um, yeah, come on out. Um, you know, go to the shows. Come out. Try something new, you know. I want to thank you for having us on on as well, too. Give me the opportunity to share with your listeners, with, uh, you know, your sponsor, Sawyer. Thank you very much. Um, you know, without guys like you doing this, we can't share who we are as well either. And so, um, you know, if, if, if I gain one follower out of this, um, thank you. I appreciate that. So I appreciate you having me on. No, absolutely. It was great talking with you both. This was a fun conversation. I love learning a little bit more about you guys. Yeah, like I said, I I sometimes I'm on Facebook and I just kind of just start adding people that look interesting. And I I didn't really know a ton about you, but I was following along. So I'm I'm glad we really got to sit down and talk. So thanks for hopping on both of you. Thank you very much. (laughs) It's fun. Awesome. All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 114 of Living Country in the City. Big thank you to James and Dana for sitting down, taking the time to talk with me. Make sure y'all check out the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 114 to get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Also, make sure y'all head on over to sawyer.com slash lime hyphen disease. Check out all those amazing products, videos, and infographics that can help keep you safe from ticks and Lyme disease while you're in the outdoors for hunting season. Also, don't forget that soon you will no longer be subscribed to Living Country in the City. You will be subscribed to The Wild Initiative. That is coming up within the next couple of episodes, so keep an eye out. And finally, I'll make sure you hit me up if you're looking to upgrade your web presence, start a brand, start a podcast, or whatever that may be. I guarantee my service is top-notch, and my prices are super reasonable. But until next time, keep it country, y'all. 
Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com.